0: Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. We teed it up last week, and now we will offer our thoughts on the Rings of Power. Plus...
1: I'm Jeff Braun. Disney's latest live-action remake of an animated classic is out now. I'll take a look at Pinocchio. Plus... Season 5. Season
0: 5 of what has to be one of the unlikeliest hit series of all time is out this weekend. Get ready to strike first. Strike hard and show no mercy with Cobra Kai.
1: Each of us, everyone, must decide who we shall be. I am not the hero you seek.
0: You have been told many lies.
1: He has not one name, but many.
0: One thing we can do better than any creature in all Middle Earth.
1: Have you heard
0: of him, lad? Like to there's a tempest in me find the light and the shadow will not find you amazon's lord of the rings series the rings of power debuted last week the first two episodes of its eight episode four hundred and sixty five million dollar first season They say the show got 25 million global viewers on its first day. It's a prequel series to The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings stories from J.R.R. Tolkien, which were adapted into feature films by Peter Jackson. The Lord of the Rings films, much better than The Hobbit movies, but the couch potatoes still like those Hobbit movies. Jeff Braun, what would you think of The Rings of Power?
1: I was really blown away. I knew they had, you know, that giant budget, but I still didn't think it would look as good as it does. Most of the time, you know, it looks as good as any of those movies you mentioned, and that's saying something for any TV show to a movie comparison, but for the Lord of the Ring movies, that's saying so much more. And the different parts of Middle Earth actually look like different parts, and the places that sort of line up with places we've seen in the movie look like those places. I I don't know if there's a direct correlation between the Peter Jackson movies and this series, but... Clearly the continuity of the two is meant to be there just from the looks of things like the swords and whatnot. Um, You know, it looks like the movie. So I guess I'll go forward believing that, that uh, one day, whatever, you know, when Aragorn roams these these lands at, He'll look like Viggo Mortensen did in the movies that it's the same place. So, I mean, it was a huge sigh of relief. That's my initial reaction because, I mean, full disclosure, I find the elves of Middle Earth dreadfully boring. At least I used to. I thought in the movies, a little Elrod was fine. But when I watch those Lord of the Rings movies, I just I fast forward whenever Cate Blanchett shows up. And I love Cate Blanchett. But Galadriel in those movies is just so boring so that's the thing i was most nervous about the show i knew it was elf heavy i wasn't looking forward to it but then young galadriel showed up and she was interesting young elrond was interesting the guy that sort of looks like michael palin was interesting just a, a good start to what usually is some pretty dry stuff in middle earth the harfoots i thought were great they're sort of like an early nomadic hobbit type people and they feature a young lady who has more of an adventurous side to her than most of her kin not sure what to make of the meteor man who fell to earth i guess we'll find out soon enough um the dwarves were fun the guy and his wife bickering i found that very funny also i think that's the first lady dwarf we've ever seen and the humans were all right so far the lady in love with the warrior elf i think is about the only human we've spent a lot of time with we haven't come across any great kingdoms or anything i don't think but i'm sure we will at some point and of course you know there's all the assorted goblins and orcs and monsters of all different sorts uh for as pretty as it is i think living in middle earth would actually be a mostly terrifying experience uh again the effects just top shelf they're also dressing up people in orc costumes and stuff like that it's not all cgi which is nice because uh, a couple of weeks ago when i was complaining about the hobbit i did complain about how they use cgi for all the orcs and it kind of took me out of the movie the thing i complained about with uh, the house of the dragon show was the lack of the map in the opening credits and this lord of the Rings series very smartly incorporates that middle earth map into the show it pops up as we move from one place to another or at least you know the first time we visit a place and i found that quite helpful because a lot of the The place names are different from the Lord of the Ring movies because it's set so much earlier. Uh, You know, they bopped around the world quite a bit already. The scale is just so much grander in that regard than the House of the Dragon is. And that kind of brings us to whether or not we should even be comparing these two shows. I don't think that we should really, but it's hard not to because they're the same genre and uh, they debuted within a couple of weeks of each other. But other than that, you know, they're wildly different. The Game of Thrones is obviously meant for grown-up audiences and Lord of the Rings is more of a general audience appeal, and of course the budget is the huge difference. The Lord of the Rings just massive in scope uh, involving storylines from all over its world this Game of Thrones, uh, you know, the first Game of Thrones show did that too, it went all over the place but the House of the Dragon has not, at least not yet, it's a much more insular world in the early going and the scope limited to you know a bunch of people pretty much in the same place all the time so outside of a couple of dragon shots each episode as well, the House of the Dragon just isn't going to come close to touching the rings of power in the special effects department but again, that's the budget, right? So it's kind of like comparing apples and oranges. But you know, we're the lucky ones. They're both great, and we'll have both of them around for the next couple of months. Uh, I'm very impressed with the Rings of Power so far, and I can't wait for these remaining six episodes.
0: Yeah, as far as the the budget goes, I mean, we know that the Game of Thrones kind of blew the broke the bank with its final season. I think it was around 15 million an episode, and for House of the Dragon, it looks like it's under 20 million an episode so still a huge budget for that first season for House of the Dragon it's 10 episodes um but yeah 465 million dollars for one <laughs> season of television it's just unheard of but you, you arguably as well the, the the landscape and the places they visit in Middle Earth everything is just so much bigger and more beautiful and fantastical and and just stuff that quite frankly like you couldn't imagine in a practical setting. Whereas in Game of Thrones, much of Game of Thrones is not a happy world. And therefore a lot of the settings are, they're not very grandiose there. It's a lot of down in the dirt kind of stuff. You know, they're the grimier corners of Westeros. So uh, but when they do have to go big and they do have to go grand, I think they do their shots just as well, like with the the shot in the first episode where the dragon is flying over King's Landing and whatnot uh, that towards the dragon pit. I thought that was just just as good as anything I saw in House of the Dragon. but yeah, seeing seeing or in uh, par, uh, Rings of power, sorry, that's gonna happen a lot, I think. <laughs> what show know, are we I talking like- about
1: here? I'm just going Lord of the Rings and uh, Game of Thrones. I'm not even <laughs> diving down into the smaller subtitles. But yeah, I thought
0: the, uh, the visuals for the Rings of Power were just so, so good. And there was not once where the visual effects took me out of the story, where I thought, ah, that's a visual effect, because that's a huge distraction. You pointed out the CGI orcs in The Hobbit, and in many cases in those Hobbit movies, the CGI was not very good, and when it's not very good, that takes you out of the story. So, House of the, or so for Rings of Power, I did it again, Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings, they have nailed it. Seeing the dwarf realm of Khazad-dum was fantastic, because I believe that's... The what we know as the Mines of Moria in The Lord of the Rings, and it's an abandoned wasteland in this. So to see it in its full glory, or at least see part of it in its full glory, was just spectacular. I thought the acting was was tremendous. I thought the young woman playing Galadriel was great. And uh, I don't know. I'm really, really curious to see where they go with this because this isn't... Like Lord of the Rings, it was clear what the story was for anybody who had read the book. And if you hadn't read the book, you could just read a synopsis and understand where that story is gonna go. But where they're quite where they're gonna go with this one, I mean, I guess in broad strokes, we sort of know, like obviously it's gonna lead to the formation, the the forming of the rings of power, but the 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 bumps or the the places they go along the way, it's all very new. So I find it exciting to go back to Middle Earth. So I really enjoyed those first two episodes, but I uh, just want to quickly retouch on this last week, the anger that some fans had about this Rings of Power series before it ever even aired, and we'll get into what they're mad about in a moment, but you may have seen headlines this week along the lines of, Amazon suspends reviews to avoid review bombing. On So what they've done is on Prime Video, there's no audience score for this show. At least last time I checked, maybe they've reactivated it. Uh, This weekend, but can't post a user review. Can't see what any reviews uh, have been posted. And this was in response to the review bombing that was happening where a small but angry mob of fans flooded the review section with their anger to bring the show's score down. And they've done this on Rotten Tomatoes as well, where the audience score is 39%. Now, it's not inconceivable that this many people dislike the show. But when you look at the number of reviews, for example, there's over 22,000 user reviews. Compare that to House of the Dragon, which is also an immensely popular show. It has an audience score of 84% and just under 4,500 reviews. So not nearly as many reviews. And as we know from human nature, we are more likely to complain about something that we're mad about than praise something that we're happy about. We voice our complaint and keep our praise to ourselves. In general, I'm not saying this is a golden rule, but that's just kind of what happens. And if you go to YouTube and type in the Rings of Power, you will see... All kinds of angry videos with headlines like, Board of the Rings! Amazon Can't Hide the Rings of Power Failure! The Rings of Girl Power is a Total Failure! The Rings of Power is Abysmal! Amazon's Billion Dollar Disaster! And so on. And what are they mad about? Everything? Look, it's, it's just quite frankly too much to get into here. I have spent a lot of time reading about this, watching videos about it, trying to understand what they're mad about. But one of the common things... It's usually the same people who are mad about Marvel, mad about Star Wars, mad about Star Trek, mad about Doctor Who, basically mad about any long-running pop culture franchise and what those franchises are now doing. It's clear that these people who are angry either can't be pleased or don't want to be pleased, at least when it comes to certain entertainment properties. Some of their gripes with Hollywood and the way much of entertainment is now mass-produced just to keep that content turning out— That I can kind of get on board with and agree with to an extent. They're also angry that Hollywood is trying to force feed the message down our throats. And even that I can kind of agree with sometimes because there are a lot of shows that insert social politics and agendas into their show where I feel like that stuff doesn't really belong. Like, I'm just here to watch your entertaining story like... Can you just save your politics? Um, So that gets annoying to me, but the whole get woke, go broke movement is a little extreme for me. And when it comes to the Rings of Power, it's just a TV show. A fantasy TV show with dragons and elves and wraiths and, don't forget, magical rings of power. Like, just calm down. Either you like it or you don't. The billion-dollar disaster nonsense, just go away. So, anyway, we really like the first two episodes. Hopefully, the rest of the series Is good. And in a moment, I want to find out what is happening on Disney Plus. There's actually a lot of stuff happening on Disney Plus this weekend, and Jeff's got a review of their latest movie. Next, you're listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. In a few moments, Jeff's going to tell you about something new that is on Disney Plus. And as it turns out, there is a lot of new stuff on Disney Plus because September 8th, Thursday, September 8th, was Disney Plus Day. So they had all kinds of big releases such as this.
1: What's it been, like, three, four years?
0: (laughs) Eight years, seven months, and six days, give or take. Am I, uh, sensing feelings? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Thor, Love, and Thunder. And by the way, if you're wondering what is Disney Plus Day, it's an annual virtual event hosted by... The company to promote its Disney Plus, Hulu and Star Plus streaming services uh, featuring announcements of new feature films and television series from those services and produced by the Walt Disney Studios. And it's there's a special for, you know, signing up. You can get deals to sign up. Uh, So it's just to try to lure more subscribers. So when they put out all this stuff like Thor, Love and Thunder, which, by the way, I never did end up seeing in theaters and I guess I still can. It's not like it's not in theaters, but now that it's available on my TV tv what do you think i should do jeff should i just watch it at home at this point
1: um you you know what if it was top gun maverick i'd say go to the theater but thor love and thunder yeah you could get away with watching that one on tv i think yeah like i'd still
0: still would really like to see it on the big screen but i don't know i just couldn't wasn't compelled and i think that ties into the just the superhero fatigue that i'm sort of feeling overall but uh Obi-Wan Kenobi, A Jedi's Return. So this is like a making of on uh, the, that. They do lots of making of stuff because they've also got Marvel Studios assembled, the making of Thor, Love and Thunder. Um, I can't remember. I can't even remember. You, so you saw, what did you think of Thor?
1: Um, I, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, it's like the fourth movie in a series, all right? So we've seen a lot of Thor so far, so... I, I can understand why you haven't rushed out to the theater yet, but uh, I enjoyed it. I like Thor. He's, he's funny. The movie was funny. It's, all, again, from Taika Waititi or whatever, so if you liked Ragnarok, this isn't as good as Ragnarok, but uh, it's uh, kind of, you know, the sillier end of the Marvel Universe, which I enjoyed. Okay. And oh, except then Christian Bale is legitimately creepy and scary and in a totally different movie than everyone else, but uh, other than that, is pretty good.
0: There's a new episode of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, I mean that just happens to be because it it, it was on Thursday. Cars on the Road, I'm assuming that has to do with the uh, beloved Cars animated franchise. Uh, yeah, oh, it's a season. It's an wow, it's an actual it's a series. Okay, that's cool. Frozen and Frozen 2 sing-alongs. There's a Simpsons short film called Welcome to the Club. Dancing with the Stars, the pros' most memorable dances. Teeing up, I guess, the inc- the impending new season, 31 of Dancing with the Stars, which will be exclusive to Disney Plus now. Pulling it off of ABC, which is... Um they're saying they're focusing more on scripted programming, but that seems like a shot across the bow, does it not? To pull one of their one of their biggest name shows and dump it into the the streaming service?
1: Oh, absolutely, and it's just a, like another indicator that Hollywood is. Sort of in a like a free fall where they they just don't know what to do anymore. You know what I mean? So they're all still trying to figure out all well, should this be on network TV? Should this be in theaters? Should this be on streaming? So we get uh, every now and then we get one of these really weird uh, uh, happenstances where. For now, the a show that's been so popular on TV is shooting over to streaming. They just want to get more people to sign up. The people that I guess watch Dancing to the Stars, but have nothing else that Disney offers.
0: Yeah, like people, I would imagine that much of the audience that likes Dancing with the Stars wouldn't have a Disney Plus. So I guess in that sense, it's sort of shrewd, but they're putting a lot of uh, that's kind of a gamble. I would think. The, I don't think they're going to get the subscribers they would need for that. So lots of stuff which came out on Disney Plus Day, including a new movie starring Tom Hanks based on one of the most beloved Disney stories of all time. That's next. Jeff's got a review. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes.
1: Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. We were talking about Disney Plus Day in our last segment, and one of the big things out on this Disney Plus Day this year is the new sort of live-action remake of Disney's Pinocchio. (laughs) I have only one wish, that you could be real. Make new friends. Are you my conscience? Cricket's the name, Jiminy Cricket. Be brave and stay out of trouble. Fortunately, you're coming with us. Remember, follow your heart, because that's what makes you real. Hello, pops.
0: <laughs> Disney's Pinocchio. rated PGA Streaming September 8th. Only on Disney+.
1: This is the first of two Pinocchio movies coming out this year and the difference is the word Disney. This is Disney's Pinocchio. You're probably familiar with you know the 1940 cartoon which had Jiminy Cricket and the song When You Wish Upon a Star. It's a classic. Now the original Pinocchio story is not a Disney property it's just an old children's book from the 1800s like a lot of stuff that Disney would turn into classic animated films. So Disney doesn't own Pinocchio per se But they do own the parts they created for the 1940 cartoon, including the song I mentioned there and the name Jiminy Cricket. The book has a talking cricket, but Disney named it Jiminy. So later this year, when there's a fully animated Pinocchio movie from director Guillermo del Toro, it's not going to have Jiminy Cricket. It's not going to have When You Wish Upon a Star, but it will be a story about a wooden puppet who wishes to be a real boy. It'll probably be quite a bit creepier than this as well, because that's just Del Toro's style. Uh, and that, at least, is my understanding of the rights issues at play as they pertain to Pinocchio. There have been quite a few adaptations in the last 25 years, actually. In the 90s, there was a terrible live-action version of Pinocchio, starring Jonathan Taylor Thomas and Martin Landau. And Italian actor-slash-filmmaker Roberto Benini has both directed a Pinocchio movie in 2002 and starred as Geppetto in another one in 2019. But now we've got a live-action remake of Disney's Pinocchio, the version that you're most likely familiar with. And the reviews have not been great. It's just under 35% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, going into the weekend. Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the voice of Jiminy Cricket. Tom Hanks is Geppetto. Uh, A kid named Benjamin Evan Ainsworth voices Pinocchio. And Cynthia Rivo is the Blue Fairy. Lorraine Bracco is Sophia the Bird. Keegan-Michael Key is Honest John. And Giuseppe Battistone plays Stromboli. And the movie is directed by Robert Zemeckis, a Hall of Famer who made Back to the Future and a bunch of movies with Tom Hanks, including Forrest Gump and Castaway and, of course, The Polar Express, which is one of many animated movies Zemeckis has made which also include the Christmas Carol movie with Jim Carrey and Beowulf. But most importantly in this case is Zemeckis on Zemeckis's resume is the movie who framed Roger rabbit, which blew our minds back in 1988 with how it blended live action and animation. I love that movie so much. It's only one of, Three movies that I've seen five times in theaters. And now here in Pinocchio, he's blending live action and animation once again. Of course, animation means something quite a bit different now than it did in 1988 as it's modern CGI. The CGI Pinocchio looks like the 1940s cartoon, same goes for Jiminy Cricket, and probably whatever else they had to animate, like Honest John the Talking Fox, for example, which I don't really recall from the original movie, and that was actually the eye-opener for me because I haven't seen Pinocchio since I was a kid, Uh, so I was able to be a little bit surprised along the way, although I did watch that terrible Jonathan Taylor Thomas version in the last couple of years. The blending of the animation and live action, I'm sorry to report, doesn't always work. It's kind of clunky at times. You can... Kind of see the seams. I saw a headline that wondered if they hadn't actually finished the movie properly before releasing it. And in hindsight, that actually kind of makes some sense. Um, As an adult, the Pinocchio story is a deeply, deeply weird thing. It's not quite Alice in Wonderland trippy, but it is on the same road. Honest John is a good example. Aside from, you know, the talking puppet boy, the world of Pinocchio is inhabited by regular human beings. But then we got this fox, Honest John, that walks on his hind legs. He wears clothes. He talks. He has a cat friend who doesn't say anything, but also walks on two legs and wears people clothes. But yet, Geppetto has a little kitty who walks around naked and acts like a real cat. So, I mean, it's not really relevant. It's just one of those things you don't even notice as a kid. But as a grown-up, it kind of raises some questions. In fact, you know, there's no real need to litigate the story here. It is the same as it was in 1940. Although it has been modernized a bit, believe it or not, there's a joke about Chris Pine in this movie. There's also a regrettably unfunny joke about influencers and even though i I can't remember the details from the cartoon i'm guessing that the ending in this new version is a little bit different i think disney trying to both you know update it for modern times but also keep it the way it was it's just a, a clever little adjustment they've made and then you know of course we have to talk about tom hanks as geppetto he has a wig and a giant poofy mustache and uh uh, subtle slash not so subtle Italian accent that comes and goes. And, you know, when I say subtle, I mean subtle for this movie, because the guy that is playing Stromboli is like, uh, it'll blow, it'll blow your wig right off. If you're wearing one, it's not subtle at all. Hanks gives a, a fine performance, I guess, you know, but he always kind of just seemed like Tom Hanks in a costume to me. Uh, still nice to see him in this. So, can't complain whenever Tom Hanks shows up in a movie. It's a pretty good adaptation. As far as Disney's live-action remakes go, I think I like the Aladdin one more. That, of course, skews a little older. Pinocchio really does feel like a little kids movie. And if you have little kids, I'm sure they'll love it. Not much there for the grown-ups, though, or even older kids. You know, there's there's a reason this thing isn't getting released in theaters, I guess. Three couch cushions out of five for Disney's Pinocchio out now on Disney+. Plus. If you got little kids, they're going to love it.
0: All right, so that's new on Disney Plus. And before we continue, somebody you know, somebody was asking the other day, don't, don't you guys ever talk about like what what's on normal TV? You're always talking about Disney or Netflix or Prime and all these other streaming services. And you know what? We're getting back into that season of all the new and returning shows that are coming up, uh, whether it's on network television or cable television. Like I'm excited about the new interview with a vampire adaptation that's coming to AMC. So we'll we'll preview some of that stuff. Don't oh, worry.
1: Plus the Destiny's Child song or song show, right? I'm a survivor.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering where you're going with that. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, we we talk about Survivor probably more than any other television show and that's on Global. But... I'm going to go back to the streamer here because if you are or were a fan of the Karate Kid and you've not yet watched the show we're about to discuss, what are you waiting for? New on Netflix this weekend, season five of Cobra Kai. This is what we're up against. This is how everyone sees them. As some kind of philanthropist out to save the kids of the valley, Terry Silver. What are you guys named, Michael?
1: It's Michaela. Whatever.
0: I washed my hands of Cobra Kai when we lost a tournament. I'm not a sensei anymore. As of today, I am shutting down Miyagi-Do karate. This can't be your plan. With Johnny gone, it's on me to fix this. One star? Does the car smell like beer? It's because there is beer. Cobra Kai is a show that debuted back in 2018 on YouTube Red, bringing back the main rivals from that first movie from the 80s daniel larusso the karate kid and johnny lawrence his nemesis from the cobra kai dojo but johnny lawrence at least in that first season was the primary protagonist and it was amazing they they took one of the ultimate villains of our childhood jeff and i well i, I can't speak cuz you're a couple of years older than me would uh, would that confirm
1: or could what is that i'm 1 year older than you and i spent my childhood terrified of Johnny Lawrence. <laughs>
0: okay. I couldn't remember if he was one, two, three years older. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't, and Plus, I've only seen you once in the last three years because of uh, COVID <laughs> protocols around here. Just working from home. I'm working at the radio station. But, um, yeah, so Johnny Lawrence was a bad, bad guy. Uh, briefly redeemed, I guess, a little bit in the Karate Kid part two. But um, I always thought of him as just a bad guy. And so they turned him into not a good guy, but they made us feel for him so it was amazing but i didn't see any of cobra kai until netflix picked up the show so two seasons aired on youtube red and then netflix took it over and they aired those first two seasons and it became a smash hit so here we are now on season five and i don't really want to get into you know a bunch of spoilers here because if you do intend to watch it um, you know, it, it, it's not a, it's, it's a quick watch, I would say. So it, but I will say that it's been an amazing journey to revisit these characters, largely because I never wanted to, I never cared to, never once did I think, hey, what's, uh, Johnny Lawrence up to these days? Life has not been great to him. He is an idiot. He drinks too much, can't hold down a job, but he's still got karate and karate helps him find his way again, somewhat. Until he blows it repeatedly. Daniel Russo is a successful businessman. He has a wonderful family, but his world gets flipped upside down when Johnny reemerges and reopens the Cobra Kai dojo. Turns out old rivalries die hard. Old wounds do not heal, and it's such a fascinating thing to see these men still remembering their high school days like it's yesterday because I think most of us can relate to that and in Johnny's case I think he he still acts like he's in high school his vocabulary hasn't really changed he still drives a car from the 80s like he's still trying to live out his glory days or at least hold on to them and the way that they've explored their story their relationship their attempts to work together and how their kids play in all this has been remarkable like this show I think is relatable to all ages because they tell such great stories for the adults they tell such great stories for the kids and the way the kids so like if you're a kid watching this show, then the kids will be able to relate to that. If you're a parent, you'll be able to relate to what the kids are going through and vice versa. It's just really cool and even more remarkable, I think, is how they've been able to weave in characters from the sequel movies and do so in a way that's not too intrusive or cheesy, or forced, and it actually makes sense in a way that serves the story in a positive way. So I just love this show. I think it's one of the most pleasant surprises of the last five years. I've watched the first three episodes of season five. It's great so far. It's more of the same, like it's starting to feel a little bit like, wow, well, we've already seen this before, but sometimes the same is good, just like listening to ACDC. They haven't changed their music in 25 years, and it's still great. The show's got a great cast, Cobra Kai does Great writing, great dialogue, it's fun, dramatic, emotional And even has some decent karate action Highly recommended You need to let me and Chosen handle this It's the only way to make it all end Fine, handle it All we gotta do is get our hands dirty If you continue down this path, nothing in your life will ever be the same again Adult classes are on Wednesday. We're not here to take a lesson. We're here to teach you one. Cobra Five, Cobra Kai season five. Pardon me, I just mixed it into one. Cobra Five, I'll have a review of Cobra Five, the full review next week on The Couch Potatoes. And in a moment, Jeff has a wrap on one of his favorite shows, which I can't believe it's already four seasons in. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes
1: welcome back to the couch potatoes i'm jeff he's brett and one of my favorite shows of the last few years wrapped up its fourth season this week on fx it's the vampire comedy what we do in the shadows
0: he keeps cheating me. He's really had quite the growth for it, hasn't he? <laughs> Ain't that the truth?
1: Tuesday.
0: You can't tell me why I grew a foot and a half overnight like a human radish?
1: The season finale. At least he's not a boring energy vampire. I have to tell him exactly what he is.
0: My pops and I, we were able to figure out a way to settle our differences. Start swinging. Okay. Three. No, no, two, no, 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 one. no, no, no.
1: FX is what
0: we do in the shadows. Season finale, Tuesday at 10 on FX.
1: What We Do in the Shadows is a single-camera mockumentary-style comedy about a group of vampires living together in a house in Staten Island, New York. They are hundreds of years old, perhaps thousands of years old. It is modern times, of course. And a lot of the comedy is derived from the fish-out-of-water scenario of A, being vampires in a human world, and B, being hundreds of years older than everyone else and not knowing how things like, you know, CD players work. But really, most of the comedy is derived from the fact that they're all really dumb, like Homer Simpson dumb, They also have a human with them, this kid Guillermo, who makes a lot of, you know, withering glances at the camera, Jim Halpert style as the audience surrogate. It's really, really good stuff. Season four was terrific. There was an ongoing storyline about the new Colin Robinson who begins as a little kid. So they had this kid actor, but superimposed the face of grown-up actor Mark Proach onto the kid. It was hilarious and also really quite creepy at the same time. He aids throughout the season with the finale kind of dealing with him as a teenager. And the other main storyline concerned the vampire Nadia's new nightclub for vampires and the poor occasional humans who would uh, accidentally stumble their way in only to be murdered by the vampires. Like all of them, Nadia's absolute cluelessness with something like how to run a business was just hilarious. And then there was Nandor. He's maybe the dumbest of the vampires. He certainly has the dumbest voice. Uh, He had a new wife and he also somehow unleashed a genie and whoever on the writing staff of the show came up with the idea of Nandor trying to use a genie to make wishes deserves a raise because it It was just amazing. The whole season, great. They've done four seasons. I hope they get four more. If you've never seen it, you like a good laugh, and you can also stand some comic gore and some filthy, just utterly filthy language. The first three seasons are streaming on Disney+, and season four, of course, will be there probably right around the time. that Season five comes out on FX next year. Highly, highly recommend What We Do in the Shadows.
0: Okay, I'll check that one out eventually. I keep meaning to, but... I say it every week. I'll put that on the list. I'll watch that eventually. You know what? Sometimes I actually do get around to those things. Like, for example, we touched on this very briefly last week. I did finally get around to watching season four of a show that uh, came out I guess two or three months ago, Westworld debuted on HBO a few years ago now. It's a television show that is adapted, inspired by the film from the 1970s about an amusement park where there are robots and they start to malfunction and things go wrong. Well, they've adapted it into a full-blown television series. The first season on HBO was almost perfect it was so good so expansive, so grandiose in its scale about these you know you can go to this park and interact with these androids that look just like people and um it's it's really violent it essentially allows you to do whatever you want whether you just want to relax or if you have depraved fantasies. And it really is a fascinating exploration of human nature. And this first season was so, so good. It had a great mystery. Season two was pretty good, but I felt like it had uh, less direction. It was a bit more confusing. Season three, they actually go out into the world and... I watched that season twice, I think, just to try to figure it out, and I was left very confused and I didn't quite even really enjoy it. So when season four came out, I wasn't excited at all, like it came out on June 26th, forgot it was even there, finally started watching it a couple of weeks ago, and I loved the first half of this fourth season. The second half kind of fell off the rails for me because there are too many things that I'm confused about. and. lots of mysteries they didn't solve and uh, I just I uh, I don't know maybe if I watch it again I'll enjoy it more maybe if I rewatch the whole series because I feel like this is the kind of series where you almost have to watch the entire thing just back to back to back to back to back to back because there's a lot of it's it's a lot that's all I'll say so I loved the first half didn't really care for the second half so I don't know that I could recommend season four of Westworld. That's all the time we've got. I'm Brad, Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother.